0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Mike, for that undeserved welcome. It is a joy to be here. You know, I'm a student of history, and church history especially um, interests me because we have a pattern from the New Testament. When Jesus sent out the apostles and later the disciples and down through the centuries to get to today. In the 5th century, we might remember the name Patrick or St. Patrick or St. Paddy's Day we tend to celebrate. But in the 5th century, Patrick started a church planting movement in Celtic Britain and Europe by sending out bands of missionary monks. They lived among the people. They worked among the people. They worked in the fields among the people. They shared their gospel as they did life together. And when a church was birthed, they trained elders, they trained leaders, and they moved on. And they did it in a new town, in a new area. That's what benediction is doing. Living the gospel as you rub shoulders with your neighbors, your friends, those you work with, those you pass by on the street. And as Mike said, The AGC has a high value for church planting. The vision of the AGC as an association, as a group of churches, is that together we would be a movement of healthy, reproducing churches. And those three words were specifically chosen, a movement. We're never satisfied with what we have, how many churches we have. But it's a movement of healthy, reproducing churches. We want to be healthy in our faith. We want to be reproducing naturally as we share our faith, as people come to Christ, as we grow in our communities. And so this morning we want to look at this theme of God is gracious. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. That's our theme in this series, Behold Our God. Our culture and our society today, perhaps social media more than anything has highlighted this reality that we don't often treat others as we should or as they deserve to be treated. You might hear these words, I don't deserve to be treated that way. Perhaps you've done something. You've said something, and you've heard those words. I don't deserve to be treated that way. Perhaps you've used them, because somebody has said or done something to you. And we live in a society where you get what you deserve, in theory, right? The posted speed limit is 100, you get pulled over doing 140, you get what you deserve. A speeding ticket. It hurts the wallet. But what if the cop lets you off with a warning? What if he says, yeah, I know, it's you're, you're occupied. And, you know what, I'll just give you a warning. Slow down. That's not treating you as you deserve to be treated. You broke the law. You sped. You got caught. You deserved the ticket. But instead, you got grace. God is gracious. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. Now we need to understand what does that mean theologically what does the bible teach us about this god of grace and so we're going to look at a couple of things first we're going to look at this gracious god what does that mean this is the theological part we're going to look at a number of verses in the bible what does the bible teach us about god's attribute of being a gracious god and then we're going to look at a story of grace applied what does it look like in real life I think the attributes of God, who he is, can often be better explained as we see those attributes in action, applied practically in our lives, in our relationship with him. For example, if you were to tell me that Pastor Mike is a really generous person and often invites you out for lunch, and he's going to pick up the tab, how would I know if that's a true statement? Well, I would have to in some way have experienced that or been the recipient of that generosity or seen it applied in the life of someone else, right? That's the practical side. But what if Pastor Mike invites you out for lunch and says, hey, let me take you out for lunch. And when the bill comes, he kind of goes, uh, you know, I kind of forgot my wallet. Would you mind picking up the tab? And you would say, well, I guess it happened. He just forgot his wallet. But what if it happened every time he invited you out for lunch, that he conveniently forgot his wallet? you would have to then conclude that perhaps he is not a generous person. You might even want to think about, is he really my friend? If all he's looking for is a free lunch. Now that's just an illustration. Mike's not a cheapskate. I know him. He's a very generous man. But that helps us understand how we apply this attribute. We can say that God is gracious, and he is. But how do we know? How do we see it applied in our lives. Let's apply that to this God of graciousness, to look at his attribute, his character of being gracious to us. There's an old hymn that the church used to sing. It was written over 100 years ago, back in 1911. But the words of this song, I think, help us understand this God of grace. Now, I'm not going to try to sing it, but listen to the words. I'm going to read the words of this hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured There were the blood of the lamb was spilt grace grace God's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace God's grace grace that is greater than all our sin marvelous infinite matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe all who are longing to see his face will you at this moment his grace receive there's a number of clues in that song that I think reveal the graciousness of God so let's begin with first understanding this gracious God this is the theology part and there's five things that we want to see here that help us understand this attribute of God's grace and we begin we begin with grace reveals God's character one author has defined the character of God's grace this way he said God deals with people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness what they deserve but simply according to their need in other words he deals with them on the basis of his goodness and his generosity and it requires nothing in return as Moses was on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament to receive the Ten Commandments for the second time. Remember, the first time he went up to the mountain, God gave him the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. He came down from the mountain. The children of Israel were sinning, and he broke them over his knee and tossed them aside. Well, now he's back up in the mountain, and he's going to get the Ten Commandments for the second time. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There it is. God's character is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There are this interconnectedness between these attributes of mercy, grace, and love. One author stated that, graciousness comes from this idea to bend down or to stoop down in kindness to an inferior and to give favor to the undeserving picture a father bending down to his child to be at eye level with that child bending down in kindness to give favor to the undeserving we see god's mercy in not giving us what we deserve. We see His grace in giving us what we don't deserve, and we see His love extended to us, His unmerited favor. Graciousness is always seen in its application. God is gracious. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve, and in that, He extends His love to us through Jesus because of what He did on the cross for each of us. The New Testament says it this way. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said in chapter 5 verse 8 but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and that phrase in that while we were still sinners is important because it means literally while we were in the very act of sin it's not that we recognized our sin it's not that we came to God in repentance and that we were sorry for what we had done God extended his love to us through Jesus to be our penalty, the exact opposite of what we would think. It's easy to forgive somebody when they come to you and say, I've sinned against you, I wronged you, I was unkind, will you forgive me? It's easy then to forgive somebody and to extend forgiveness. But what about when that person doesn't say they're sorry? They're not repentant. They continue on doing what they're doing. It's at that moment that God extends his love and his graciousness to us. Second, grace is God's response to us. David in the Old Testament, writing in the Psalms, said in Psalm 31, verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. When we cry out to God, He doesn't respond with, I told you so. You made your bed, now lie in it. It's your fault. You get what you deserve. That's not how He responds david further writes in psalm 34 listen to these words i sought the lord and he answered me he delivered me from all my fears those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed this poor man cried out and the lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles the angel of the lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man and the woman and the child who come to him and take refuge in him God is gracious and his response to us is gracious because it's his character to be gracious to those that do not deserve grace but there's a caution here this isn't cheap grace this is not entitlement grace This isn't God is obligated to give me grace and I can just go and do what I want. There's no penalty. Remember, his grace is not based on what we do. It's based on his character. And we'll see that a little later. The third thing we want to see in our overview or our theology part is that grace is given in abundance. God is not cheap with his grace. It's given in limitless supply. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He further wrote to the Ephesians, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Did you see it there? Grace is... Not God giving me a full bank account, a better job or a big house. His grace is more than abundant to forgive me of my sins, to restore me to a right relationship. He lavishes His grace upon us. And that word is important, to lavish. It's to be overly generous, abundant, to give generously, to not hold back anything. That's how our gracious God gives us his grace. In abundance, lacking nothing more than we need or deserve. And again, we get the picture of a father, a loving father and his child. If you have children, you would do anything for your children. You would give them everything they need to survive and to thrive. And that's what God does for us. But fourthly, grace is saving power. If the purpose of grace is not to give us a full bank account, a better job, or a big house, what's it for? What does it do? God's attribute of grace lavishes upon us this saving grace. Listen to the words again of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. By His grace, God doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated but through Jesus we're able to be saved our sin has been forgiven our relationship is restored to him and we are able to commune and have fellowship with him I love that phrase by grace you have been saved through faith God's grace lavished upon us my faith in what Jesus did for me Paul wrote to the Romans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In these verses, we see some important points to note. We've all sinned. There are no innocent parties. We all deserve the punishment. Yet we have been justified. We have been declared righteous or right or innocent by the grace that he extends to each of us. It's a gift of God because he is gracious and he abundantly lavishes upon us his grace. Jesus became our propitiation, and that's a big theological word that basically means a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. What Jesus did on the cross for each of us appeased the wrath of God against us and allowed us to be restored to that right relationship again this isn't cheap grace there was a cost it cost jesus his life on the cross god's grace is extended to us abundantly and lavishly to the point of sending his own son to the cross so that we might be restored to him apostle paul later wrote to titus wrote these words so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you're an heir, that means there's an inheritance. And our inheritance isn't a big house or a bank account full of money. It's eternal life in fellowship with God. Finally, in this section, we see that grace is sufficient for all our needs. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. There are no self-made people. By God's grace, extended to us, lavishly given to us in abundance, we are who we are today. His grace, his mercy, his love have all contributed to making us who we are today if we know Jesus personally. That way, Paul could even write in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, When Paul was suffering from some ailment, we don't know what it is. But he prayed three times for the Lord to take this away and God didn't. But God said, My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of the troubles you may be facing, the challenges, sickness, poverty, needs of all type, God's grace is enough to carry you through each day. This means that whatever I'm experiencing in my present circumstances, I can endure that and more because God's grace will uphold me. Remember the words of David in Psalm 31. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And God invites us to call out to him, cry out to him. When life gets complicated, when life is not fair, when our needs overwhelm our reality. That's a big picture five points to help us understand a little better what this God of grace really is. What does it mean to be gracious? And as I said in the opening illustration about Pastor Mike inviting you out for lunch and forgetting his wallet, that's the, the theology or that's the theory. We now have to put that into practice. How do we see that applied in our daily life? How does that work out? Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. He was rich and powerful, and very religious. He had everything a person could ever want or desire. He lived in a palatial mansion. No expense was spared. People worshipped him, wanted to be like him. Songs were written about him. Everybody knew his name. He was ambitious, strategic, built an empire. At his command, things happened. But at some point it all changed perhaps it was the boredom that settled in when there were no more challenges to conquer he stopped going to the office when he should have he began to look for other pleasures other things to conquer his mind and his eyes wandered then he saw her she was attractive beautiful desirable but she was the wife of another man a man he knew A man who was one of his trusted subordinates but it didn't matter he wanted her and like rich and powerful men often do he used that power and that influence to get her she was brought to the mansion and well you know what happens next now she's pregnant what to do this could ruin him and all that he had built so like powerful and influential men often do he looked for a way to fix the problem He used the resources at his disposal to hide what he had done. He cooked up a plan to make it look like the child-to-be was really fathered by the husband of this woman. And when that didn't work, he resorted to the worst form of betrayal. He had the husband, his trusted subordinate, murdered in order to hide his dirty little secret. He thought the problem was fixed. He had gotten away with it. He could now marry the woman. Everything would be fine. But it wasn't. And if you haven't guessed by now, the man in the story is King David, the one who wrote the Psalms that we just read, that we just looked at. The woman was Bathsheba. Her husband was Uriah, one of David's generals. And what happens next is a story of grace. There are consequences for our sin. We often bear the consequences even when grace is applied. When I was a student, one of my professors told a a funny little story that I think bears this out. There was a bank robber and he wasn't that smart of a bank robber. As he wired up the safe with the dynamite he inadvertently triggered the the dynamite and he blew his arm off. The alarm went off in the bank. Police came, they arrested him, took him to the hospital. They fixed up his arm and, and pretty soon he's in front of the judge. His stump is all bandaged up and the judge says, you're guilty. We got you on video camera. The police saw you. The only thing left is the sentencing. But then the judge said, you know what, you're a young man. You made a mistake. I don't want this to ruin your life, so I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you go free. That's grace. I'm gonna not give you the punishment that you deserve. And I thought, as the professor's telling the story, well, that's a simple story, we all get that. Then he asked us this question, he says, as a man walked out a free man out of that courthouse, does his arm grow back no it doesn't he bears the consequence of his sin he's going to have no arm but he received grace that's what happened to David he was found out the prophet Nathan comes to David and he says David I want to tell you a story it's a true story and we find this story in the book of 2nd Samuel chapter 12 And so Nathan says to David, there was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many flocks and herds, and the poor man only had one little lamb. And David David resonates with this, because remember, David was a shepherd boy, taking care of his own father's sheep out in the hills before he was king, before he had the big fight with Goliath. And so Nathan goes on with the story, and the rich man had many flocks and many herds, and this poor man only had one little lamb. He's got David's attention. And the rich man had a friend that came to visit. <clears throat> and he takes, as, as it were, the custom of the day, he needed to prepare a banquet for that friend to honor him as his guest. But instead of taking one of his many sheep out of his many flocks and herds, he takes the one and only little lamb of the poor man, and he uses that lamb to prepare the banquet. Well, by this point, David is livid at the man. And he jumps up and he says, the man who deserved that, who did that, deserves to die. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are that man. That's what David did. David was crushed. There would be consequences for his actions, for his sin. But David would be forgiven. Grace would be applied. And David's response, in part, was to write psalm 51 it's a psalm of repentance and this is where the practicality comes in of grace applied turn with me and we'll put it on the slides psalm 51 we see three things here we see first of all in verses one and two a call for grace have mercy on me or be gracious to me O god According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, not according to what I did or deserve. David calls on God's character of grace, mercy, and love. He knows that according to Jewish law, he's guilty. What he has done deserves death, yet he cries out for grace, for God to treat him as he doesn't deserve to be treated it echoes back to Psalm 31 be gracious to me O Lord for I am in distress and Psalm 34 this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles there was no way out for David he was guilty before God yet God extends grace this is not cheap grace there were consequences for David that would impact him the rest of his life but there was grace there was forgiveness there was restoration to a right relationship with God and the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. So, first of all, we cry out to God. We call out for grace. Second, we understand the need for grace. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 51. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil what is in your sight david recognizes his sin who he sinned against so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment david understood the depths of his guilt what he really deserved he sinned against god god had anointed him to be king god had given him victory over his enemies god had built his kingdom had given to him all that he possessed and yet he sinned against god And God knew it. And he knew it. And he knew what he deserved. He was guilty. There was nothing left except to pronounce judgment to carry out the execution. But God extended grace. And if God extends grace to a sinner like David, that same grace is extended to us today. Whoever you are, whatever your life is like, Whatever you've been involved in, whatever you've done, whatever is happening, that grace is available. And in verses 7 to 12, we see the results of grace. And now the judgment comes, or so we would think. Yet what we see is unlike what most would think if you were observing a trial like that with an obviously guilty person. Once in a while, my wife will force me to watch Dateline or one of those crime shows. And it's always the same, right? It's a uh, body turns up and the suspect is a husband and he, you know, he's guilty. He's always guilty in these shows. But you have to watch it for two hours to come to the end to find out. Yeah, he is guilty. Usually I go to bed. Those trials aren't hard to figure out what's going to happen at the end. He's guilty. What does he deserve? He deserves the punishment. But that's not what happens when a gracious God steps in. He forgives, He restores. It's grace applied. Listen to the words of verses 7 to 12 Purge me with hyssop, cleanse me that I may be clean, wash me that I may be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence take not your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit and god responded only a gracious god could forgive and restore as he did in the life of david and here's the really great part he does the same with you and i every day regardless of our sin Regardless of what we did, what we're doing now, our attitude, it's covered by God's grace. The grace of God who doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. All he asks is that we come to him. That through Jesus we find forgiveness, healing, restoration as sons and daughters. So there we have it. God is gracious. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. He goes beyond and gives us what we don't deserve mercy, abundant love lavished upon us. So, what do we do with that? We've seen the theology part, what the Bible says, and there are were, there were many more points we could study. We've seen a, a practical example from the life of David an adulterer, a liar, a murderer, but one who was also known as a man after God's own heart. What do we do today? How should this impact us? Let me give you three suggestions. One, recognize that no matter how bad your life may seem right now, how far you are from God, how great your guilt, shame, or fear is, God's grace is immediately available to you. He is a God of grace who doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. Second, cry out to God as David did. Don't hold back. He will hear us and offers to each of us the saving power of his grace that you too may experience this transformation in your life as you surrender to him and third rest in his grace because that is greater than all your sin to rest in is to be free of the guilt the shame that sin and the devil bring remember the invitation of that old hymn grace grace God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? That's the invitation, and that's an open invitation to each of us all the time. And not just once, every time. Every time we we fall, every time we trip and stumble, we come back and say, Lord, I failed. His grace is extended. Every time we say, I blew it, Lord, again, His grace is extended. Every time we come back and say, I don't know why I did that, I keep doing this. He says, my grace is sufficient, and it will be there for you. Grace, grace, God's grace, will you this moment His grace receive? It's an open invitation. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.